It's a good day to be here to worship God and uh, open our voices in praise, song, and prayer, and, and now to uh, come to that point in our time of worship where we, having said things to God, now we need to let God say something to us through his word. There's an old song that we have sung over the years that says God moves in a mysterious way. I would even say plural, God moves in mysterious ways. And what we're involved in right now in the life of this congregation, uh, looking for a new preacher, is counting on God to do what God does, move in mysterious ways. Uh, again, I want to refer you to the little uh, insert in the bulletin this week. Read all of that, those questions and answers uh, from Grady. Uh, that tell us about the process that we're involved in right now in our search for a new minister. Well, that brings me to this. A minister, a preacher, a speaker, an evangelist. I mean, there are all kinds of titles that we've uh, placed on the one who stands before us to proclaim the word. But I want to suggest to you that we are not looking for a speaker. We are looking for a preacher. And Randy Johns the other night emphasized this in a very excellent way when he spoke on what a, a preacher would be looking for in a church. And one of the things he said was, I would expect a church to want its preacher to preach. Now there are many other things that a preacher might do, can do, and will do but he, first and foremost, is to be a proclaimer, a preacher of the Word of God. And that's the kind of person we're looking for. That's the kind of person God is preparing to be a part of this congregation. Some time ago, I ran across these words that describe the difference between a speaker and a preacher. Before I read them, I want to tell you about a conversation I had with a young minister some years ago. Uh, we worked together, and uh, he was quite well-known and would go around speaking uh, at youth rallies and things of that nature as a youth minister. And we were talking one day about ministry, and he said, Well, John, he said, I just don't understand. I don't understand how you can just get up Sunday after Sunday and talk to the same people. Sunday after Sunday, he said, that just seems to me to be such a boring thing. He said, I like to go around and, and speak at different uh, activities and speak to different people and different audiences. And I said, well, friend, let me tell you the difference between your idea and what I believe is God's idea of what we're to do as preachers. I said, you are a speaker to an audience. Week after week, different places here and there, people you don't know, people you'll never know, people you're not in relationship with, you have no idea what the needs and the hurts are in that audience. On the other hand, as a preacher, I really find joy and satisfaction in knowing that week after week, I am going to be not speaking to an audience, but preaching to a congregation, preaching to a group of people whom I have come to know and they know me. 
I know the good things and the bad things. They know me, warts and all. And they know that as I stand before them, there is a place in my heart for them because I know them by name, I know their lives, and we have this great relationship as a preacher and a congregation. So when I read this, I think you'll see there is a vast difference. These words were first spoken by Charles Jefferson, a preacher of former generations here in America. He says, a man's love for his church depends in large measure upon the relationship established between himself and his fellow members. The friendships formed in church life and work are among the most sacred and enduring into which the soul of man can come. Unless a man enters into the social life of the church, he is practically not a member of it at all. Listening to a preacher speak on religious topics every Sunday does not make one a church member even though his name is written on the church roll. For you see, fellowship is of the essence of church membership. And to cultivate and enrich this fellowship is the primary task of the Christian preacher. He goes on to say then, a sharp distinction ought to be made between a church and an audience. It is to be regretted that we have come to rank churches by the size of their nominal membership and to judge preachers by the number of persons who listen to their sermons. A superficial man then is consequently tempted to work not for a church, but for an audience. An audience, however, is not worth working for. An audience is a set of unrelated people drawn together by a short-lived attraction, an agglomeration of individuals finding themselves together for but a brief time. It is a fortuitous concourse of human atoms scattering as soon as a certain performance is ended. It is a pile of leaves to be blown away by the wind. An audience is a handful of sand lacking consistency and cohesion. It's a number of human filings drawn into position by a pulpit magnet and which will drop away as soon as the audience, the magnet is removed. An audience is a crowd, a church is a family. An audience is a gathering, a church is a fellowship. An audience is a collection, a church is an organism. An audience is but a heap of stones, a church is a temple. So preachers are ordained not to attract an audience, but to build a church. Coarse and ambitious and worldly men, if richly gifted, can draw audiences, but only a disciple of the Lord can build a church. And so I guess the question is, are we looking for a minister, a speaker, who can build an audience, or are we looking for a preacher who can build a church? And I have the answer. I know who our next preacher is going to be. I do not know his age. I do not know his ability. But I do know that there is a profile of him given to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we look at Paul and, and he portrays to us what I would call the portrait of the ideal preacher. And uh, this takes us then to this book that we're looking at, a little short book in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians. Open your Bibles with me to chapter 2 of that book 
And let's listen to Paul as he talks about what I call a, a very healthy preacher-congregation relationship. How the preacher serves the church and how the church responds uh, to that preacher's service as he preaches the word of God and serves among the people. So Paul writes to this church that he had a very short association with and yet one that was loving and kind and he says, You yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. So Paul's reminding them of a, a tough time in his own life and a hard time in the life of this young church. Things did not go well and there were people in the community of Thessalonica that opposed the preaching of Jesus. And so they opposed those who believed in Jesus and who were obedient to him. And Paul says, but you know, even with all of that in mind, my coming to you was not without purpose. It was not in vain. For one thing, many of them believed what he said about Jesus and obeyed the gospel. They became Christians and the church was established. Paul reminds them now in these next few verses of some negatives, some things he did not do. These were not characteristics of Paul's ministry as an apostle, a preacher to the church in Thessalonica. He said, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Paul is uh, he's pretty transparent in this passage. And the kind of minister that I think this church needs is the kind of person that Paul is talking about, the kind of person that Paul was. He was one who understood, and this is a key phrase in verse 4, that he had been entrusted with the gospel. God had approved of Paul as his man a man of God who would take the message of God to the people of God. And Paul felt as though that this message that he had was such a, a, a valuable thing, of such treasure and value. He even speaks of it in his second Corinthian letter when he says, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels, and that treasure was the gospel. And God had committed to Paul taking care of the gospel. He was a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kind of minister we need in this church is someone who feels and knows that he has been called of God and God has empowered him with the message, a message that must be preached not to please the people that are sitting in the pew, but to make sure, first of all, that his message pleases God. And that's the kind of preacher Paul was. He says, we never came, verse 5, with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Paul is laying out here a, a blueprint to say, now listen, if there are those in the community of Thessalonica that may be trying to discredit my ministry, and I believe there were, I think that's why Paul is saying some of these things, as we'll see later in this text in, a, in another study. 
But Paul believes that there are people who have come in on his heels and said, well, why did Paul leave so quickly? I mean, if he really loved you and if he really cared for you, he would have stayed here in the midst of opposition and suffering. Uh, he would have dealt with the hard times. Instead, he left town. Well, the brethren encouraged him to leave, and God had other plans for him as he moved on to the city of Athens. But the point of it is, Paul believes that some people are trying to undermine his ministry. And he says, listen, when I came to you, I didn't come to try to impress you. I didn't come with flattering speech. I didn't come with a pretext for greed. I was not seeking the glory of men either from you or from others. Even though as an apostle, he says, I could have asserted my authority. And so Paul is very clear about his motives. He wants people to see his heart. And in this passage, he opens up his heart, his motives, and he shows us that his appeal and interest in these people was simply to use the gospel that God had entrusted to him and to share it with people who needed to know about Jesus. Entrusted with the gospel, Paul then becomes an ideal preacher. And he uses some word pictures here to describe to us what the ideal preacher is to be like in the life of a congregation. Verse 7, he says, We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Here's the picture of the preacher as a mother, as someone who sees the congregation as his own children, and he cares for them, and he loves them. I don't know wherever, where any preacher ever got the impression that our purpose on Sunday is to make everybody feel bad. Just preach down to the church, point your finger at them, and let them know if they don't straighten up exactly where they're going. I have found it to be much better to give the people hope, <laughs> to lift their spirits up, to remind them God loves them, and not to uh, berate them or to give them a spiritual spanking on Sunday morning. Why is that the case? Because an ideal preacher has the church in his heart, like a mother who would tenderly care for her children. On occasions visiting from church to church, I have sensed that some preachers just stay mad at the church all the time. And that their purpose on Sunday is to straighten everybody out. Now God knows we need help living and walking down the straight and narrow way. But we also need encouragement while we're walking that way. And the preacher who has in his heart the sensitivity of a mother who would tenderly care for her children, who would cherish them, and who would treat them gently is the kind of man, I believe, that needs to occupy the pulpit of this church and every other congregation. Having thus, he says, a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. Now there's Paul's priority. I have been entrusted with the gospel and it's my goal to impart to you the gospel of God. But we also, he says, imparted our own lives because you had become very dear to us. There's a relationship that needs to exist between a preacher and a congregation 
that's just about as close as family can get. I mean, it is a very sacred relationship, one in which there is affection and there is emotion and there is love and there is, there is constant care. And these are the kind of words that Paul uses here because he said, I not only came to preach the message of the gospel to you, I came to share my life with you. And back to the reading I read earlier, the man who doesn't engage in the fellowship life of a congregation and still claims to be their preacher is really not very much even a member of that congregation if he's not fellowshipping with the people that make up that church. There are some preachers that believe and act as though the pulpit is three feet above contradiction, and so they mount the pulpit, they say they're say, they go to their inner closet and they hide when church is over because they don't want to have anything to do with the people. That's not the kind of minister we need in this church. We need someone that we can partner with who will love us with the same affection of a loving mother. You recall, brethren, how our labor and hardship and how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Priority number one, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. We kept telling you the wonderful story of Jesus. We kept emphasizing who Jesus was and how he lived and what he taught and how he died in our place on the cross and how God would not leave him in the grave but raised him up victoriously and by the resurrection of the dead proved him to be the living son of God. Paul says that was what I continued to proclaim in your midst. But if need be, I would work night and day. I labored in hardship and difficult times in order to not be a burden to any of you. I think some preachers and some congregations have the idea that preaching is an easy job. Show up on Sunday, talk about 30 minutes, 20 would be better. I mean, you know, it's an easy job, so give us a 20-minute sermonette on Sunday morning and everything will be fine, and preacher, you can kind of do whatever you want to during the week. It doesn't work that way, folks, in a vibrant, live congregation like Lamar Avenue. The preacher works hard on Sunday, but he works hard all week to get ready for Sunday, and he works hard all week to be in the lives of people and to balance what I call the three P's of preaching, planning, uh, people and preaching, or preparation, people, and preaching. Those are the three P's that every preacher has to balance. You can't preach if you don't prepare. And sometimes, I hate to say it this way, but people can be an interruption to preparation. And yet people is what ministry is all about. And so we're to serve the people, but we're to balance how much we can do as far as individual attention with the people, and especially as a congregation gets larger, and then be able at the same time to prepare ourselves well enough so that on Sunday we don't have to say something, we have something to say. And it comes from the Word of God. That's the kind of man this preacher was. And he says, you're witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. Paul said, I tried to conduct myself in a way that you'd be proud to say, that's our preacher right there. 
That's the man that stands before us each week and proclaims to us the word of God. That's the man who comes and prays with us when we are in need. That's the man who answers his phone in the late hours of the night and will show up at the hospital or any other crisis because he's the one we can count on. We know the kind of life he lives is in uh, consistency with the message that he preaches. And so Paul says, you know, verse 11, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you. Here's another word picture. As a father would his own children. So Paul takes these family terms like a mother who tenderly cares for her babies and like a father who encourages his own children. And these are great pictures of a man who has in his heart the best interest of the people that he serves not only in his life but also in the preaching of the word of God. Preaching is to involve exhorting, encouraging, and imploring And here's the end result, verse 12. So that you, and I would say here, so that we, the preacher must include himself in the message that has been proclaimed, so that we may know uh, how to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us into his own kingdom and glory. So here we've come again on a Sunday to begin a new week to reflect on the past week and examine our lives and see what changes need to take place. And today we have the opportunity that God has given us to start over, to decide I'm not going to walk like I did last week. I'm going to walk in a manner that's worthy of the God who calls me. I'm going to make the appropriate changes in my life. I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to do things in a different way. I'm going to allow God to work in my life in ways that I did not allow him to work last week. And how does all of this come about? I think much of it comes about not because of what John said in his words this morning, but because what John has said through his words has been backed up and supported and drawn from the word of God. And it's the word of God that calls us in question. It's the word of God that challenges our heart and says, am I who I am supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I living a life that brings glory and honor to God? And when Paul thinks about the relationship he had with this young congregation, he commends them, and this is the last verse we'll read this morning in verse 13. He says, and for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I am not saying that the preacher's word is the word of God. But I am saying that if the preacher preaches the word of God, then people receive it not as his message, but as God's message, as God's word. And listen to what this word does. This word also performs its work in you who believe. It's living and active. 
It cuts into our lives. This message from God this morning tells us some things that we needed to hear because of the concern we have about who's going to be our next preacher and what should we expect of him. We should expect an ideal preacher to come with some of the qualities that Paul talks about here. And I know none of us are perfect as ministers, but we need to strive towards some of these goals that Paul presents. We need to understand we've been entrusted with a message. And listen, brethren, I'm not picking on anybody in this church, but there's no one else in this church that's called to do what the preacher is called to do, and that is to preach the Word. There are good men who can give talks from the Word of God and can do a good job of presenting a message from the Word of God. But we need someone who's been entrusted with that message. We need someone who thinks theologically. Someone who has background in biblical studies so that he just doesn't blurt off something that appeals to him because he's taken something out of context. It fits into the big picture of the Word of God. We need someone who, who has the ability to do that. And regardless of his age, whether he's young or whether he's old, he is a person who has the spirit and the attitude that's portrayed here by Paul, that of a nursing mother, that of a firm and dedicated father, that of a hard worker who will labor in our midst, and that of someone who's not coming just to build a group of people and make an audience and a name for himself, but someone who's coming to be a minister, a proclaimer, a preacher, a herald, an announcer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And if the preacher doesn't do it on Sunday, it generally is not going to get done in the life of the church. And that's why we put so much emphasis upon the person who shares the message with us. That's why we pray what we're praying right now. God, get this man ready. God, help us to find this person that you've already chosen. God, we need this man. And yes, the church can go on without a preacher, but I'll tell you it'll go a lot further with one, and things will be a lot smoother. And more than anything else, if his heart is in the Word of God, this church will remain biblically centered, Christ-centered, oriented to the Word of God. And we will not give in to the whims of men. We will not allow culture to dictate what happens down at the church. We will be a people of the book, as we always have been, and we will continue to be so based upon the person who stands before us each week and holds this book up and preaches from it and reminds us this is where our hope is found. This is the book that tells us about Jesus. This is the only book that God has given to mankind that tells us his will for our life, how to live and how to go to heaven when we die. Do I get an amen for that, brethren? Amen. That's what we're looking for. And that's why we need to be praying fervently. Because there are some out there that are charlatans. There are some out there that are trying to climb the ladder of success in the brotherhood. They're just wanting a bigger church so they can get a bigger church and a bigger church. We're looking for a minister who knows this is where God wants him to be right now in his life. This is where he needs to be, and this is the church that's going to love him and love his family and help him to become even a greater minister than he is right now. I can tell you 
from personal experience that the church in all likelihood has a greater impact upon the minister and his family than the preacher and his family have on the church. And Linda and I can tell you from firsthand experience, that's the way it is. We are who we are today, not of any making of our own, but by the grace of God, God has put us in places and with people and with churches that have made a vast difference in our lives, our children's lives, and in this church especially, even now in our grandchildren's lives. And thank you, church, for being that kind of church. The next preacher will thank you as well. And in due time, that name will be announced, and we'll all be pleased. God will bless us. We'll move on as a congregation to greater heights, doing things that God has always expected us to do. So with that in mind, as we sing our invitation song this morning, let's just commit ourselves as a church. Let's commit ourselves as individual Christians to really fervently put ourselves into this process. Let's uh, pray for our selection committee. Let's pray for our elders. Let's be united in the things that we talk about. Uh, let's not start any rumors or, or anything about names or people or places or other churches or other preachers. Let's let God do his work and let's keep our mouths closed about this thing except to open them up and pray to God about it and good will be the outcome, I assure you. Let's stand and sing.